Dennis Mays is a retired Colorado judge and one of the few from within the system to blow the whistle on the corruption and conflicts of interest inside Colorado's Supreme Court. I'm John Caldera. This is the audio version of our television show, Devil's Advocate. You can watch that program by going to youtube.com and looking for IITV. That stands for Independence Institute TV. Please subscribe and share this podcast. Enjoy. Retired Judge Dennis Mays, you've seen his work in Colorado politics, and we've got to ask about reforming Colorado's judiciary. So the big question is, what's, what's an average bribe going for these days? Two donuts and a cup of coffee. I thought you needed more for that for a judge. Okay, we'll go two donuts and two cups of coffee. Two cups of coffee. <laughs> How long were you, you a judge in, was it the 10th? 10th uh, Judicial District. district. You were the chief judge. I was the judge chief judge for 17 years, and I served for 24 years. All right. So you've seen the Colorado system of how we choose a judge, how we retain judges, how it all, how it all happens. Uh, absolutely. And uh, I also had uh, the opportunity to serve on the Commission on Judicial Discipline before I became a judge. And before I became a judge, I served on the Colorado Supreme Court Nominating Commission. All right. And Colorado kind of has this odd system where the governor picks a Supreme Court justice, but he doesn't get to choose the pool. So that group you just talked about actually has to bring three nominations and he can choose one of the three, but he can't just choose anyone he wants. Is that right? He, he has to pick one of the three. That's correct. Okay. I want to go from the general and then kind of bring it down. Um, it seems as though our courts have been in a little trouble lately. They, they're not doing as well with public image. There's some scandals that have been going on. There's some things that have been kept secret. And people are starting to finally notice about Colorado courts. Uh, and people are talking about maybe it's time to reform the courts. I'll be one of those people. Colorado has something called the Missouri system. Do I have that right? Yes. All right. So explain that to me. I know in some states they elect judges. In some states they're appointed and they're appointed for life. Some of them they're Republicans and Democrats and you get a vote on them. I, uh, here we have something called retention, which I'm not a big fan of. What's the history of how Colorado got this system of courts? Well, there used to be a time when uh, judges were popularly elected. And there was a feeling back in the, the 60s that uh, that probably re really wasn't the way to pick somebody that's going to be a fair and impartial person. And this is the 1960s, right? 1960s, about 1860s, 1966, right? about that time is when uh, they adopted the plan. And the plan is, is that each uh, judicial district uh, has a nominating commission made up of citizens from that particular community. Uh, the vast majority, or the majority of them are non-lawyers, but there are lawyers on them uh, that are appointed by various entities. Uh, they convene anytime there is a vacancy on the court and their uh, responsibility is to interview the, the applicants uh, and after reviewing the applicants, they submit no less than two nor more than three names on the, on the county court and district court level to the governor for his selection. On the appellate court level, Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court, uh, they select three names uh, that have to be submitted to the governor, and then the governor appoints uh, one of those three. So the real politicking of who's going to be the next, let's call it Supreme Court uh, nominee, it's not really getting to the governor first, it's actually getting to the appointment committee to make sure that they, the guy you want is one of those three. 
that happens, yes. And and I, I forgot to mention, John, that uh, the governor, once he receives the names, has 15 days in which he must make the appointment. And uh, if he fails to do so, then the Chief Justice of the Colorado Supreme Court makes the appointment. There is a few politicking, little oh, politicking wow. going on during that 15-day period. I didn't know that one. Oh, yeah. Why is this called the Missouri system? It's, uh, it, it was just the kind of the compromise between uh, you know, the election and some other way of selecting judges in terms of uh, providing transparency and yet having the public involved in it. That was, th that was one of the key but, things. All right, let me, let me pressure this on this one. The public is not involved in this. You know, lawyers might be involved in the nominating committee but it's not like we get a whole say until after a judge has served for a few years and then we can either vote them out of office or to stay in office. It's up or down, it's not, they're not running against anybody. We really don't know much about our judges. You know, I, I think back on those times when it's elect Bob as your county judge. Well, you know Bob, you see Bob, and you know who he is. There's something about that that says, well, what was wrong with that system of electing judges. You have a Republican judge and a Democratic judge, and they work their way through the system, uh, and, and the people get to decide. Why? Was that a bad idea? The, uh, the bad idea was, uh, at the time, thought of as being uh, the letting the electorate uh, make the choice. I will tell you, John, my own personal opinion is I was a, a staunch supporter of the Missouri plan. Mm -hmm. uh, I have since, uh, because of the recent scandal with the, with the Colorado Supreme Court, uh, and the compromise that's taken place in the uh, various commissions, which are the dominating commissions, the performance commissions, and the Commission on Judicial Discipline, uh, that I, I haven't gotten there yet, but I am getting to the point where I might be saying, if, if there's going to be so much politics and corruption involved at those levels, then let's go back to popular election and let the people in the communities know. Right, now, to hear a judge say that is really astounding because... Most people I know from states that have elected judges go, Oof, there's problems because you know, what happens when the judge has to rule on one of the big campaign con con uh, contributors? Uh, that there's, it, you've got judges who then become campaigners rather than judges. Uh, so that tells me you are really concerned about what's going on in Colorado. Oh, I'm, I'm very concerned. I, uh, uh, you know, I, as I said, I'm not, I'm not at all at this point in time suggesting we go back to popular action judges. But the point is, if the safeguards that were uh, implemented during the Missouri plan to provide for transparency and integrity uh, in the selection and retention of judges uh, no longer holds water because of compromises, then what difference does it make? Uh, what difference does it make where the compromise is, whether it's this person making the compromise or the electorate? Compromise between what? I'm going to give you an example of what I mean uh, by compromise. Okay. Okay. Uh, the situation, a situation that recently came up with appointments on the Colorado uh, Supreme Court Nominating Commission. Mm -hmm. There were two Court of Appeals positions open. The commissioners sent six names over to the governor three for one position, three for the other. The, uh, not unusual. One of the individuals that was sent over to the governor 
uh, was privy to a memo that took place during the scandal uh, that I was referring to earlier. Uh, was also a uh, intern and a clerk for Justice Coates. Subsequently moved over to the uh, Phil Weiser's office in the State Attorney General's office and uh, was specifically tasked during this scandal to represent the Judicial Department at that time in which there were a lot of uh, impediments that were put before the commission to get to where they wanted to get in terms of these allegations and stuff. Uh, it, to, the, to the extent that any criminal charges that uh, might have been brought and might have had a, an impact on getting other people to talk about this scandal uh, were for naught because they, they, meaning the Denver District Attorney, the Colorado Supreme Court and the Attorney General's Office allowed the statute of limitations to, to run and there was no way put any pressure on anybody to say anything more. They didn't have to talk. So the point being is that person was uh, up for this judgeship. Boatwright was the liaison, the, the judge overseeing the, the selection process. Supreme Court Justice Supreme Court. in Colorado. Yeah. And uh, knew all of this stuff about this individual. And yet was, I don't know whether or not he told the other commissioners about all of these things that had happened and, and this person's involvement in the, in the scandal or at least his role in what was going on in the scandal. I'm not saying he did anything, but he was involved in it. And so the Supreme Court Justice knows about it. The Attorney General knows about it. It goes over to Polis. Polis knows about it because people pointed out to him that, are you familiar with this particular attorney and what's happened? And guess who Polis appointed? The attorney. So. In my opinion, that was a comp that they compromised the system there. I mean, I don't understand how anybody with that kind of an ethical cloud over uh, his head is this, could is get this to that you, Is this just you saying I don't like that guy? If this was a different guy who was a buddy of yours, or you liked his judicial style better, would it have been all right? I, I have. I don't have. I have no knowledge about this individual other than what I told you, and I'm basing it solely on those facts that have uh, been presented and. You know, what I think was, David Nagoya, I think, wrote an article on it as well. Tell me about, for those who don't know, and, and let's condense it into just, uh, as Joe Friday would say, just the facts. You know, what is the scandal at the Colorado Supreme Court? The scandal at the Colorado Supreme Court is that uh, anytime there is a complaint uh, against a judicial officer for uh, misconduct, uh, it needs to be uh, sent to the Commission on Judicial Discipline. The Supreme Court was skirting that and taking care of matters in their own hands whenever they, uh, they felt appropriate. And therefore, the commission knew nothing about it. And uh, matters were taken care of that the public was never made aware of. And that's, that's since come out to be the problem. And, uh, uh, because it looks like there was a $2 million payout that happened to a former employee to keep things Quiet? There, there would have am been. I, am I there putting that the right way? There would have been if Mr. Magoya hadn't broken the story. So they never did consummate the contract, but uh, that's where they were headed. And it, it was uh, a point of discussion during uh, this last summer and in the interim committee that was studying judicial reform. And uh, so let me just, from a layperson, you, you're a lawyer, you probably, and you're a judge. 
you know the minutiae, you know the system inside and out. As, as just a, a regular guy, I think I know more than most Coloradans about how Colorado's system of laws work, how politics works. I understand the different branches. Uh, and there's a lot of attention that goes to the governor. He can call a press conference and there's people who can look at his records. We have the open records laws. What goes on in the legislature? There's reporters there. They actually have desks right there. Uh, um, and they have spots and tables right there in the chambers. And they know these people. We know them. We, we can see their open records. That third branch is just opaque to most people, including me. Once a, every other year or so, we get to vote on what are retentions. Shall, shall Judge Dennis Mays be retained? And you always get retained. They all get retained. The Blue Book has this um, section of well, reviews. And each one says, yes, we recommend you retain them. And they always win by 70%, it seems, sometimes 75%. So there's no real accountability. Nobody knows if this is a good judge, a bad judge. And more importantly, they don't say, it doesn't say anything about his judicial point of view. It talks, the review is about, does he run a, a good courtroom? Does he do things on time? Does he keep a good schedule? All right, those are nice procedural things. But if he's a screaming communist or he's working for the fascist party on the side, or um, I'd like to know that, uh, if, and I'd like to know what his, what his philosophy is. Is he a strict constitutionist? Does he believe the Constitution is a living, breathing document? These things would, make, uh, would help me make a decision. So like many, I just vote no on all of them, and they still pass by 70%. It, it just seems like a, um, that Colorado's justice system is, I don't want to say secretive, but I don't know what goes on. Am I off? You're, it is secretive, and you're absolutely right. And uh, that's one of the other areas that's been compromised. I talked a little bit about the uh, Commission on Judicial Discipline, uh, the, the performance commissions. Uh, for instance, uh, there was an article recently about uh, one of the judges that was submitted to, uh, uh, to Governor Polis for a possible appointment of the Court of Appeals had an enormous amount of decisions reversed. And now I'm not suggesting that just reversals in and of themselves or something, but if you do a deep dive into them and the judge keeps making the same mistake over and over and doesn't care, maybe you have a, an idea about a political bent, a, a philosophical bent, uh, an unwillingness to learn the law, those sorts of things. Uh, so in that event, it, it appeared to me that there was somewhat compromise. There needs to be a much deeper dive by the uh, performance commissions into how they provide the information to the public. And I would go as far to say, John, and I think this might have happened early on in the process, that uh, public hearings, people have a right to go to a public hearing and say, this is what I want to say about it. Now, I have a, a different belief in terms of uh, trial judges and appellate judges. I think appellate judges uh, obviously have... Uh, Explain the, the difference. Okay, uh, a trial judge is somebody that presides over over a case, a county court judge or a district court judge. Jur general jurisdiction. I'm going in for my divorce. I'm having a fight. I'm going to see that judge. Yeah. Okay. Uh, or if you have a, a DUI, it's county court. Okay. Got it. But in any event, 
those judges, uh, and uh, as I've indicated how long I've been a judge, I I've always been very impressed with them. Uh, do we make mistakes? Absolutely, we make mistakes. Uh, but I've, I've never felt that they were the ones who were trying to decide what policy should be. Now, once you get up to the Court of Appeals and the Supreme Court, that's exactly something that could happen. And I think that there ought to be a way to discern whether or not a potential appellate court judge or Supreme Court judge has those bents of mind. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean if they do that they shouldn't be selected, but the public should know about it. And perhaps it's time for uh, the appellate court judges, at the very least, to be subjected to Senate confirmation like they are on the federal level. Which and they're not here in Colorado. They're not. It's the same system. The, the, the governor gets three names and he picks one of the three names. And there's that 15-day period where you can uh, provide public comment, but nobody knows about it. You know, I, you, I, you I, can provide public comment. You can call the governor's so, office and, and say, hey, here's why this person should not be appointed. Or, contrarily, this person is fabulous, outstanding, you know, and, uh, uh, and, and should be appointed. So, so that, in the federal system, you know, I think about it be, that we all know how it works uh, in Washington. The president can choose anyone. Any, he could choose his mechanic and say, I want him to be the new chief justice uh, and, um, when, when the other old one retires, and this is what I want. And he has to get advice and consent from the Senate. They have to go through this. And the Senate has been good in blocking a lot of those nominations. It becomes a very political process. In fact, during, uh, during the Trump years, there were oh, hundreds of judges waiting to, to be confirmed but they just sat on it. And then when the other team's in, in charge, they do the same game. Uh, are you suggesting that be uh, something we do here in Colorado? I, I'm suggesting it's something that we should definitely take a close look at. And I'm not suggesting that maybe That's it's- That's not a good answer. We should look at lots of things. Do you well, think we ought to do it? Yeah, I would not have any problems with it at all. Really? I would not have any problem. I don't know that I'd go through the advice and consent thing, but I certainly believe that any potential uh, appellate court judge should stand uh, public scrutiny. And that public, so help me with this. Let me see if I'm tracking. We have this system that we've had for since the 60s. And the system, the Missouri system, means that um, these commissions choose, choose who's going to be chosen. So, Governor, here are three picks. You choose one. He doesn't have the choice to do all of them. But still, after overwhelmingly having Democrats in control of, of the governor's office, except for eight years under Bill Owens, you know, it's no wonder there's not a uh, Republican-nominated Supreme Court justice right now. And the whole system is, is, I'd say, out of touch from my points of view, but other people disagree. So we have this system, and then the check and balance is every couple of years we get, a, we get a say, you can keep your job. But we have no information. That's where I'm suggesting. Uh, as a matter of fact, what it is, each judge that's initially appointed is, uh, has a two-year provisional term, and then they come up for retention. Right. On the county court level, it's every four years. District court level, it's every six years. Court of appeals, it's every eight years. And Supreme Court's every 10 years. One of the suggestions I would make with regard to that is, one, one is a much deeper dive into uh, how we go about evaluating judges and present that to the to the uh, What community. does that look like? Because here's what I see. 
I see people who are inside the system uh, grading their teacher. You know, it's like, oh, how did you judge? And so you, you survey the uh, uh, attorneys, if the attorneys uh, want to give it back. Uh, you survey the, the plaintiffs and the defendants, but, you know, well after the case is gone. And you get some of the, did he run a nice courtroom? You know, was the, were the plants watered? You know, were the windows clean? These are not, these are not things I care about. I'm joking about those questions, but it's, they, it seems like that. Um, there's nothing about the guy's philosophy. There's nothing that tells me what this guy stands for, uh, but all I know is the name pops up, and the blue book says each and every one of them have to be retained. You know, uh, in what they call football, but it's actually just soccer out in England, the bottom four teams that lose get relegated down to the lower benches, why can't we do the same thing with, with judges? There's, it, right now, it's Lake Wobegon. Every judge is above average uh, when it comes to this review. Who, you know, the well, review doesn't work. I, I, uh, I, uh, I want to correct you on one thing, John. I, I, I don't know if that's appropriate or not. It is inappropriate. It, 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 you will not do it. Okay, but we're going to do it anyway. Right. So uh, you're absolutely right. The vast majority of judges are retained, and the vast majority of judges are retained with some pretty uh, amazing statistics. I think there needs to be perhaps, uh, well, I think there should be a look at uh, what is the algorithm that we're gonna use to say, in order for a judge to be retained, this judge has to receive X percentage of, uh, of uh, positive votes. And if they don't, they don't get retained. The other thing is, is I think that uh, at the Court of Appeals and Supreme Court level, that there should be a one 10-year term uh, on those. And at the end of their 10-year term, they go uh, find other work and uh, we go through the process, but they should, not be, uh, they should not be eligible for retention. And so that there, in, in, in essence, so it would be a term limit. So let me see if, if I'm hearing you right. The first one I think I agree with, which is, you know, since they all get 70%, instead of a 50% threshold, can we bump it up to 55 or 60%? Right. And therefore, those on the margin are more likely to, to, get, to get kicked off. If there's term limits for judges, won't they be looking at how they uh, rule? Because they'll be ruling to get a job afterwards and not ruling on, on law. Okay, now again, we're talking about uh, the term limits would be for uh, pallet judges only, Court of Appeals and Supreme Court. And that then brings in the discipline part of this thing. And how is a judge behaving during his or her term while on there? And what matters can be referred for consideration by whatever body? And it should not be the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court should be eliminated from being involved in any one of these processes, as far as I'm concerned. And are they involved now? They're involved at every level. But by, by, uh, they appoint people to the nominating commissions. They appoint people to the performance commissions. And they appoint uh, uh, the judges that whoa, serve whoa, whoa, on, the, whoa, whoa. on the commission on judicial discipline. Time out here. Let me see if I'm, if I'm getting this. The Supreme Court, who we vote on whether or not to retain, they put people on the committees that evaluate and put onto the blue book whether or not they should be retained. Including the Supreme Court justices. Isn't that just a complete conflict of interest? Doesn't it seem that way? And they're... They do that on all three of the commissions, the, the nominating commission, the performance commission, and the commission on judicial discipline. And, and if you want something that I uh, could 
show you that uh, that's really bothered me a lot is uh, we've been going through this stuff with this scandal. David Prince, a uh, judge from Colorado Springs, was one of the co-chairs of the committee, and he was very active in being critical of the uh, of the uh, uh, Supreme Court. David's term expired at the end of uh, uh, July, I mean June, but he was eligible for reappointment. That appointment would have come from Chief Justice Boatwright. Chief Justice Boatwright refused to appoint him. Because he's been critical. He refused to appoint him. That's what I could tell you. And I made a statement to the interim committee that I thought it would certainly smack of retaliation if Judge Prince was was not appointed. So I'm still, so I'm, still, I'm still dealing with this one. So help me out, Dennis. The Supreme Court chooses the people who evaluate them. The Supreme Court chooses the some pe- of them. Some of them. Some of the people who discipline them if they go wrong, and they're the ones who also do. Um, um, uh, what was the third? The nominating. The nominations. Yeah. Who's going to replace them? Yeah. They're involved in every step of it. So in other words, you've got judges who are building an empire to make sure that their judicial philosophy continues. That certainly could be argued, and that is why I have uh, come to the position I've had now on how I'm reversing myself on the Missouri plan, because the very systems that I thought were in place to protect the integrity of the system have all now been compromised, in my opinion. All right, so be really specific. If you could wave the wand and you have all the power, what change would you make? The one change I would make is I would remove the Supreme Court from any any uh, decision appointment making uh, with regard to those three particular commissions. I would remove them completely because I've lost trust and faith in them. That's Dennis Mays saying that, but that's the one thing, that's the first thing I would do. I would would remove the Supreme Court from any involvement in the process. That's fascinating. How do you get regular people involved in that process? When it comes to the governor, we all vote. When it comes to our representatives, we all vote. Here, it seems like a pretty incestuous system that we don't vote in, except for this silly retention. It is, it is so opaque. We have no idea who these guys in black robes are until they rule on a case for us or one that's very, very important to us. Uh, John, and I know uh, from a previous admonition you gave me and saying, oh, come on now, give me something that I can uh, bite into and stuff. I think that's where the work is. I think we need to re-examine the whole system to see what can work so that there actually is transparency, that the uh, public is involved, integrally involved, and if need, make the changes to do that. Uh, So that would take some work, but I think it could be uh, uh, several, it could be a hybrid where uh, uh, maybe the the legislature makes the appointments or somebody else. A deep dive into, okay, what can be the most effective way and uh, the most transparent way to select people that are going to do what the intention of the commission is? That's the thing. And it might be uh, uh, some elected, some appointed, hybrids, uh, you know, uh, uh, certain percentage of attorneys. uh, uh, the, the, The attorneys should never be the majority of any of the commissions. Are they now? They're not. And that's a good thing. And not that I, I have faith in attorneys, but 
Those they're, the guys in, who, they're in front of the judge all the time. Yeah, they're ones kissing up to the judge. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, whatever. You know, but, <laughs> oh, you're a judge. I'm sorry. They never uh, kiss I, up. So well, they don't do it anymore, John. I've lost all <laughs> kind of power. I'm sorry. <laughs> you know, it, at what point would you say, you mentioned direct electing of judges. That, that one seems to me to be the atomic option. That's the nuclear option. Mm-hmm. You know, if, when all else fails, we're going to elect these guys. Uh, if you guys don't shape up, we're, we're just going to elect you. Is that the nuclear option, nuclear option? Yeah. Yeah, okay. it is. If we have, uh, if we've lost all confidence in uh, those commissions that we're going to safeguard the system and we don't have any uh, trust in them anymore, then what difference does it make? What you have? I mean, w- w- would you rather have the rogues that are the uh, general public or the rogues that because of whoever, whomever they are got appointed to be the rogue. Uh, I don't know if I make any sense to you. But you really think it's, it, and you really think it's that bad right now? I, I think it's getting there. I really do. I, I'm, I, I've never been more disappointed in the state, Colorado state judicial system as I am right now. And I held them in, in high esteem. Uh, during the time I served, I served under uh, Tony Volick, Mary Malarkey, and Mike Bender. And I was proud of the service. Those are all proud. chief justices. And, and I was proud of the way they handled their integrity, their ethics. Uh, they were all tough in a different way, uh, but I had a great deal of respect for them. And, uh, you know, I left uh, when Mike Bender was still the chief justice. Uh, but what I've seen the last three, four years has just really left me very sad. Now, I've heard that when you go to law school, they drill into you. Yeah, being a lawyer is nice. What you want to be is a judge. I've heard that's, that's, that's programmed in the DNA. Man, if I could be a judge, that's what, that's what lawyering is all about. And do I have that one right? No, I think that, was, uh, that seemed to have much more uh, credence earlier on. Uh, I could tell you why I, I applied to be a judge and all that. I don't know that that's important. But you know what I found, John, is the when we have these vacancies anymore, the very sparse number of lawyers that are applying for these jobs. As compared to in the past? As compared to in the past. And Why is that? I, I, I'm not sure. I One, uh, I think they probably figured out a way to make a lot of money, although it, being a judge is a well-paying job. What is it? What is it? Pay? I think, I don't know specifics, but I think a district court judge makes around $170,000, $175,000 a year. They got benefits. Plus benefits. Uh, they that's they, they really don't nice. have any overhead. You know, that's a nice salary. I don't care. Uh, maybe the people in Aspen wouldn't like it. Well, don't live in Aspen. You know what I mean? So, what about a Supreme Court justice here? Do you know what they I, I, I think they might be close to 200000 Okay. So, but, but let me give you, uh, I lost my train of thought on this. Uh, uh, Not being able to get people to apply for the job. Oh, let me tell you. So, so uh, we talked about the nominating commissions. I... I was aware of a situation that occurred in my district uh, recently uh, when there was going to be a, 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 where, where there was a vacancy. And uh, the notice was is, hey, we have a vacancy, here's what's gonna happen. You have to have your uh, uh, application submitted by X date, okay? And for some reason, all of a sudden, the, the notice is, oh, by the way, we've extended the application date. Now, I don't know what happened, John, but I can tell you this, what went through my mind is, why did you do that? Have you done that before? Is there somebody out there that you wanted to apply that didn't apply and you want to encourage them to apply? 
Were you dissatisfied with the quality of the people you had? I don't know what those answers are, but in my opinion, uh, it didn't matter. If you're not satisfied with the quality, that's what you got. That's what you pick from. Uh, you shouldn't be out there. Judges, uh, judges should all be about rules. Right. Right. And you don't change the rules. You're in the middle a judge. of the game. Right. You know, and uh, so uh, one of the suggestions I would make is that uh, with regard to that particular process is perhaps there ought to be a rule of, uh, a, a set of rules that govern. You know, if in fact you're going to extend the period of time for applications, what are the reasons for it? Tell us why you're doing that. Is it because you want John Caldera to be the judge and he hasn't applied yet, but you have time now to go recruit him? That's no good. Uh, is it because you think the applicant pool isn't very strong? Well, that's not your job. Your job is to select those that have On these people in these commissions, are they paid? No. So these are all volunteers? Yes. So here's what I have found about volunteers. People who are volunteers on commissions or uh, boards and commissions, they are hyper-partisan. That they have, they have an agenda. If uh, uh, people who go on the energy advisory board for a city are usually anti-fossil uh, fuel people. They've, they are there for a reason because it's a lot of really boring work for no pay. You've really got to care about this stuff. And so my sense is those people who are on these committees are there because, well, they, they, they want the courts to go in a certain way. I know you probably feel I'm wrong, but normal people don't sign up for that kind of duty. We've got kids to raise and jobs to go to and all the rest. It seems to me interested parties, concentrated interests are the ones who are most likely to do this. So what's your, what's your opinion of me because I'm on the school board down in Pueblo? That's for another topic. But, 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 that, but that's an elected position. Right, you right. went off and you, right. you ran and you had to, the, the voter said, I like what he's saying. I don't like what he's saying. You present yourself. Yeah. It's not that somebody else said, hey, Mays, yeah, yeah go, go do this. You know, um, and, and you signed up for it. There's, there's just something different. It's how, or let me put it differently. How easy is it to fill these commissions? It's, uh, it's fairly easy. I mean, there are people out there, and, and probably for the reasons, and I, I don't want to be naive. It, it, it happens. You know, it's, they have uh, only one, uh, I, I can't remember there, what the breakdown is, John, forgive me on that, but uh, there, there's a requirement that only a certain number of people can be from one particular party, okay? But if it's 4-3, it's 4-3, right? I mean, any way you cut it. Uh, but but let, me tell, let me answer your question directly. And I'm, I'm more familiar at the local level with the right. district court and the county court. Uh, what I find is that the commissioners are too lenient and that they like everybody. And so you have a complaint maybe with a particular judge that, hey, we can't ever get an order out of this judge. It takes forever to get an order, you know? And so they bring, it's time for their evaluation. The performance commission brings them in and says, you know, Mays, you, uh, you need to get busy and get your orders out. You can't be doing this. You got to treat people nicer than you've been treating them the whole bit. Well, I promise you that's what I'm going to do, okay? My next retention election six years from now, six years from now, they said, Mays, you need to get your opinions out. You need to treat people nicer. There needs to be a mechanism in between that time 
if the commission believes that way, to fact check them to see whether or not it's going. And there needs to be consequences if they're not complying with it. And I don't know right off the bat what that is. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, a complaint to the Commission on Judicial Discipline, I know. But my point is this, John, uh, what you were saying is, I, I think, I don't know if it's the opposite, but oh, geez, they work so hard, they put in a lot of hours. Well, what didn't you understand about the job description, you know? I mean, that, that's not an excuse. You know, I, uh, uh, if they're not performing the way they're supposed to, your job is to let them know that and then hold them to the standard. And if they don't hold to the standard, we need to talk about how we hold them to the standard. What is the mechanism in place in order to uh, make sure that, they're, that May said, okay, he said he was going to do now. Let's find out if he did it or not. So you do a lot of things like we need to talk about this there needs to be discussion. We need to dive into this. You know, um, in the world of law, what's frustrating for me is it's very gray. You know, did the guy win the election? No, he lost it. Yes, he did. Did the bill pass? Yes, it did. No, it didn't. And so in the world of the other two branches, things are very binary. You know, it won or lost, mm -hmm. it was vetoed, it was ever. Here, even when you get a decision, decision is rarely yes or no. It's, it's, there's subtleties and there's uh, concepts and it depends on, you know, it's, it's gray. And that's why um, uh, it's really uncomfortable, I think, for voters, myself included, when we talk about this. So how do we come to these, these uh, uh, reforms? I mean, I, we could put something on the ballot. That means, you know, one group says, here's a great idea and does it as an initiative. If the legislature does it, um, what, what review process do they do? Who, it seems to me we need a champion who goes, this is broken, here's, here's the fix. You, you know, John, what, and maybe this is pie in the sky, I don't know. But, but I still wanna believe that uh, there are people that care about the system, that have extreme differences in how they look at the system, but can, can come together for the common good and say, okay, uh, I'm willing to, to do this. Even though I don't, I don't particularly like this, I think it's a move in the right direction. The other side says, me too. I'm willing to do that. I think there are those people out there like that. Now, politics always screws everything <laughs> up, you know. But I really believe that's where it needs to be, that you have well-meaning people that come together and say, wherever the chips fall, that's where they're going to fall. And that's the system that we're going to put together. Is there any state out there that you think is doing it better? I can't talk to that. I really don't. I've not done a, a deep study like that. I, uh, I will tell you uh, an individual that uh, uh, is very knowledgeable in this area is, is Judge David Prince, who was on the Colorado Commission on Judicial Discipline. That's done a lot of studying on it, and he's written extensively on it as well. And, uh, uh, you, you know, he'd probably have an answer to that, but I can't give you an answer. I don't know. Uh, I, I just wish... I'm terribly disappointed with the system the way it is. You know, well, you, what's, you what's, tell, what's telling for me is you're a guy who's seen it on the inside. You know, you're supposed to be defending the system, and you're not. I'm not, because the system's broken. That is terrifying to me. Be a lawyer and an ex-judge, somebody who was proud to be a lawyer, proud to be a judge, proud of the profession, and has seen what's happened to it basically because of the leadership at 
the highest level of the Supreme Court. And do I enjoy saying that? I don't enjoy saying it, but it is truth to power. You mentioned uh, uh, just on a maybe, I don't know, a comical note or not, I, we were having a discussion one time at our judges' meetings. We, the chief judges used to get together, and we'd have our quarterly meetings and stuff. And there, someone suggested, well, you know, maybe what we ought to do is one of the ways to evaluate a judge is see how many times he or she's been reversed. And uh, I said, well, I, I don't think that tells you. I said, I said, I don't think that tells you a whole lot. I said, besides that, you know what the Supreme Court is. The Supreme Court is the court of final error. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, nobody, they're nobody last. Can, yeah. They're last. Doesn't necessarily mean they're right. <laughs> it just means that they're last. Well, and also then you have the, the same problem that I think you hear with doctors, that a lot of doctors don't want to take on patients who might have a more difficult um, challenge because they don't want their surgery record to look bad. You just do safe surgeries and then look, 100% of my uh, patients, they all survive. Well, it's because you're not taking on the patients that need real help because you're like, no, I'll let somebody else do that one and his record will look bad. You know, the, uh, if, if you have no integrity in any part of life. Well, that would be me. <laughs> uh, but particularly a judge. Uh, John, I can't tell you the number of times that I would have liked to have ru uh, ruled differently than I did. Really? Uh, and I'm sitting there going, so now here's what the law says and here's where the facts take me. And so this is the proper thing to do. It doesn't well, then have a damn do thing not, to do with me. Then you do not belong on the Colorado Supreme Court. <laughs> I don't think they're, uh, I, I, I'm too old now to belong. And not only that, I don't think they, I get a very uh, popular vote out of them. Uh, I've, I've seen them make things out of whole cloth and I think they make up laws, uh, particularly when it came to the Taxpayer Bill of Rights uh, and uh, their opinion on what a what calendar days are in the session and it's like it's right there it <laughs> it's right there they they even wrote it for you you know it's uh we have so, we have a problem sometimes with plain language <laughs> i've i've noticed i've noticed um okay, well let's let's finish up this what's the best thing about being a judge uh changing people's lives i've always said that uh, particularly in the criminal area yeah, the easiest thing for a judge to do is say I've had enough of you, you're going to prison. You know, you're out of mind, out of sight. Uh, the hard thing to do is say, what are we gonna do to get you back so that you can be a productive member of society? Help people get back to a feeling of worth and value. And I, I say that realizing that I've, I've worked with some people that never deserve to see the light of day again. But that's what a judge should be doing, is how do we make things better for people? How do we get people back into the mainstream of their lives? Regardless, for instance, a divorce case. Nobody's gonna be happy or anything like that, but one thing, if you get your order out and it's well done and the whole bit, at least they have finality to it. They're back on their feet. But you got the judge I was talking about who can't get an order out for six months, and so these folks are just living in limbo all that period of time, not knowing what the heck they're gonna do. Uh, Obviously, we get, uh, uh, there, hey, this is the way Mays is going to feel about sentencing in this particular crime, you know. So if you go before him, that you know that. There's some good to that because, you, you, you know, are you going to plea bargain? Are you going to go? Are you going to take your shot and go to trial? And by the way, you go to trial, I know much more than I would have known had you not gone to trial. 
you know, so you're rolling the dice there, but changing lives. What's the uh, worst thing about being a judge? Uh, Just the, on the day-to-day -day life of it. What? The, 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 the trauma of seeing a child hurt. Yeah. It's the worst by far. I, uh, and not only was I involved as a judge, but I was a criminal defense attorney as well. And how, many, so, how many times do you want to just scream from the bench that you, you defendant, you're a piece of shit, I can't wait to send you away, whatever it is, but you have to hold your, have to hold your tongue. A lot. A lot. A lot. But you get your chance. You get your chance at the sentencing, you know, and, and uh, you know, you can't lose your composure and you can't lose your decency at that time. There are some people that are scumbags and they are, I, I refer to people as terrorists, as you don't, uh, there's only one way to keep you, society safe from you, and that's to put you away as long as I can. Uh, uh, so you, you have your chance, but you still have to maintain your professionalism about it. You ever worry about your safety? On occasion. Would you like to hear a funny story? So there's a, uh, I, I come to work on a Monday morning and security comes upstairs and says, Judge, uh, we need to tell you something. We just got a, uh, uh, a call from a woman and she's said her boyfriend is really irate. And he just left the house and he says he's going down to the judicial building and he's going to kill a Mexican judge. There were two Mexican judges at the time. The other one was out of town. I says, could you, <laughs> could you ask him to wait until the other one gets back? So at least he has a choice. You know? <laughs> but, but yeah, there were, there were, there were times uh, that uh, I had people watch my... You, you get used to it after. I, I don't know if used to it or maybe silly or whatever, but you know, I always made sure when I came home, I was aware of my surroundings and stuff like that. Uh, you really get worried when you're out in the middle of the Kmart parking lot at uh, 10 o'clock at night and somebody says, hey, judge. Hey, judge. <laughs> so, but uh, I, I've never been assaulted. I've, I've had people uh, tell me what they've really thought about me, you know. Uh, and uh, as one judge said one time when he was uh, uh, torn down and the prosecutor said, why didn't you do anything? He said, well, I wouldn't have been happy if I was that guy either with what I just did. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there, you know, there has to be some levity to it as well. At so the when, you're, when you're walking into the court, do you have that Flip Wilson thing going in the background? Here come the judge, here come the judge. Oh, you, let's see I'm, if you remember if you're old I, enough for that. I, 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 I remember that, but <laughs> I, my, my main worry is not tripping on my robe and falling down in front of everybody. <laughs> why the robe? What, what you know, in England, they well, they have the stupid wigs because well, that's where, you know, what you know, John. If you're not wearing pants, you better be wearing something. something. <laughs> I'm going to leave it right there, Judge. Thank you so much. Appreciate thank you. It. Appreciate your time. If you've enjoyed this episode of Devil's Advocate, I hope you'll share it with a friend, and I hope you'll subscribe and follow the show. We have new ones released weekly. Remember, this audio was taken from our TV show. To watch it, just search the letters IITV for Independence Institute TV on YouTube for this and many other great conversations.